0: This is Commercial Negans episode 740 a conversation with Jim Krueger Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 740. It's our uh, conversation with Jim Kruger episode. So Jim Kruger is uh, the creative mind behind the writing on an upcoming Marvel's miniseries called Marvel's X, which is actually coming out uh, this coming week. I'm recording this intro on January the 5th, and that is coming out on January the 8th, the first issue. Uh, So you'll be able to check that out very shortly once you get uh, your interest piqued by this interview. Uh, He also wrote the uh, the Earth X trilogy, known as Earth X, Universe X, and Paradise X, which we get into during the this conversation. He also worked on um, uh, Justice with Alex Ross. He's had a long uh, partnership and uh, relationship and uh, collaborations with Alex Ross. Uh, He he worked at Marvel in the early early to mid-90s in editorial. Uh, I wrote some of the time slips in the Marvel Vision um, kind of Marvel... Fanzine, I guess, kind of fan magazine that was published uh, directly by Marvel, uh, edited by Tim Tooley, who we've also had on the show in the past. Uh, I had a great time talking to Jim, and uh, it was really, a, you know, for me, I have a, a long history with Earth Always loved Earth X right from the, from the minute the first issues were coming out. Um, I remember at the time. A friend of mine uh, didn't wasn't able to make it any comic book stores, um, but I could, and I, I regularly. I think I don't know if I was going myself, but at least my mom worked really close to a comic book shop. She was able to pick up comics for me. And she was like, Well, oh, could you pick up these books?" So she'd pick them up. I'd pay for them, and then I'd have to wait for him to pay me back. And uh, <laughs> a bit of our friendship ended up eroding over uh, you know late payment of these of these items. But I remember getting these issues and reading them. Um, you know, right? I couldn't afford them at the time. Uh, they were a little bit more expensive, and um, you know, I had kind of set books because you know. And whereas I was just kind of that kind of that kid. I right? had a few set books, and I didn't have a lot of money. Um, but this kid had a lot more money and access to money, and he could kind of buy whatever he wanted. Uh, but he was just always late on actually giving me the money, um, which was always irritating because I didn't have much to spend in the in the, in the first place. Um, anyways, but that was my first interaction with EarthX. I loved it. I was just absolutely um, transfixed from the minute I read the first issue of Earth X. I think I, I remember vaguely like reading the sketchbook that. And he, and this friend of mine also had a Wizard subscription. I remember seeing the the Wizard, um, you know, kind of giveaway their EarthX uh, sketchbook. Loved it. Loved the book. And then it was one of the first trade paperbacks from Marvel I ever really bought because I was more of a Marvel fan. I, I was buying more singles and stuff. Whereas uh, I think DC might have been one of the first trades I ever really purchased. I remember vaguely having like you know the original Nightfall trade paperbacks. Um, they, they were kind of on, not the glossy paper we're used to now, and I had the first two volumes of that, which culminated in in, uh, Bane being broken by Azrael. So not even having the full kind of massive story of Nightfall, but just kind of the main Nightfall component as opposed to Night's Quest and Night's End. Um, I had Spider-Man, the the original Clone Saga, which was just called, I think, Clone Genesis at the time. So that was, I guess, around this period. Um, But that was old retro stuff. Well, not the Batman one, but I mean, the Spider-Man one was, was retro. And so I think the first... Marvel trades that I probably purchased with my own money at the time. It was probably Earth X and then the Daredevil Visionaries by Frank Miller. And but the Earth X one was a, a very highly prized item of mine for a long time. And then I bought uh, the Universe X and Paradise X. I always loved having them on my shelves. So I was just such a huge fan of the book. Anyways, uh, it was it was a lot of fun to be able to talk with Jim about working on these books that meant so much to me when I was younger. Um, one of these days, I have not. Been able to uh, take the plunge and, and buy the omnibus of everything in this giant hardcover format, but at some point I probably I, I keep looking at it and one day I will. But um, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun to be able to talk to Jim about creating these books and again working on the upcoming Marvel's X um, and, and just kind of going to pluck his brain about you know, some of the ideas here uh, and the characters he liked writing. Anyways, I wanted to thank. Um, some people from the Marvel Masterworks forum who submitted questions, because um, there was a, a question start that was put out a while back. Um, so I wanted to thank, I guess, Boggins um, Let's see, and Mr. Raffles. And I'm trying to think who else I think those are, the, those are the two main ones who had submitted some questions um, And obviously uh, Jim is actually a fan of the Marvel Masters Forum He's a, a big fan of the Masterworks And I think we'll get into that a little bit as well Anyways, thanks for, uh, for downloading this episode You can email me at comicshenigans at gmail.com You can rate the show on iTunes Subscribe to us on iTunes and also listen to us on Stitcher Thanks again for putting up for the last five minutes Of me rambling on and here You have finally earned it uh, The conversation with Jim Krueger. Enjoy Jim, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today?
1: So good.
2: Thanks.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have you here. Uh, let's uh, rewind the clock for a moment and go way back. Uh, when was your first kind of interaction with comics, or when did comics first kind of enter your life?
1: Uh, you know what? My, my dad had a garage. He, he, he was an auto mechanic and had, like, I don't know, four or five guys working for him. So when I was even the age of, like, four or five years old, Um, he would come home with his tow truck on and put all the swirling lights on on top and stuff like that. And he would take me along on his trips, like to go and tow in cars. And there wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be like I would help other than just to go along and like, you know, hold a dirty rag or something like that. But he would always pay me with comics. So my first comics were, um, I think an issue of Commandy by Kirby. Oh, wow. The first one I really, really remember.
0: And how quickly did you kind of, like, were you immediately kind of sucked into the the swirl of comics, or, like, how how, how dedicated were you to comics once they became part of your life?
1: Well, you know, at that point, I think my next memory would be um, resentment when my dad went and got my brother a comic and me a comic, and he got my brother Batman and me Superman. And so (laughs) I think I was really upset about that at the time. That's funny. Um, And then the other experience of comics, you know, it it was all little bits and pieces at a time. It would be like, oh, we're going on a family vacation, so my dad would get me a pack of, you know three disney comics or some spider-man comics or something like that but i couldn't even look at them or read them until we went on vacation so you know all that stuff was just bits and pieces of comics being kind of this thing that i was not allowed to have but allowed to have and there were all these special conditions and so you know from a very early age um I was, it was probably this thing that, that like, I was teased into loving, you know, and
2: being so dedicated to.
0: And then moving forward, like, how do you eventually end up in the Marvel editorial offices? How does, how does your entry point to there start?
1: Um, it starts with, I, I worked in advertising in Wisconsin um, where I was a copywriter and I was working on agricultural things agricultural products, like, you know, I would do ads for the Sheboygan Fishing tournaments and for this brand of Teat Dip, which is what you would rub on cow's udders before you milk them, and you know, all the kinds of stuff you would find kind of in the Midwest on the Great Lakes, and um, let's, let's just say that my special brand of humor didn't necessarily fit the seriousness with which and how um, people approach their T-tip. So what I ultimately ended ended up doing was creating an, adver- an advertising campaign all based on me because I had gone to school to be a copywriter and to do advertising and marketing and I knew comics so well so I ultimately did a campaign about myself trying to sell me into Marvel's advertising department. You know, I even... I even went to a con and met a guy who who worked um, who was a copywriter then and he told me about how the the entire office was growing and they were going to need another copywriter and so I did this campaign and then ultimately, you know, went to New York on my own asking for an interview and they pretty much so said, you know, we're going to need someone one day and, you know, you're you're the person we want to hire. We just don't know when that is. And it turned out to be like two weeks later.
2: <laughs>
1: um, and I mean, you know, I still have some of my, some of that campaign. I don't have all of it anymore, but, but anyhow, I started working at Marvel, started writing ads. Uh, all the ads during that era, all the house ads were kind of gaining attention because because I mean, it wasn't just me. It was like such a great group of people who were working there, and it was headed by um, by two classic like madmen of the real Mad Men days. Like you know, one of one of the heads used to write on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. Oh wow! You know, another one of the guys. designed... that? Oh, and that guy he created Count Chocula and Blueberry and. Frank and, and all that serial stuff you, you like wrote lines like sometimes you feel like a nut sometimes you don't like classic advertising guy and then even the designer had created so many things in so many areas like these guys were like legends in their field but they didn't know comics and so I came in like being able to write advertising but also being able to talk comics so it was it was a really great time and then you know I made friends with editorial and bit by bit, you know, um, I kept on bringing them new writers and new artists that that they should be using because I was really into international comics and I was really into indie comics. So, like, I was bringing them... I was telling them they should hire Grant Morrison and Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale and Carlos Pacheco. And, you know, I I brought them Alan Moore's Captain Britain series and said why why have we published this and you know all that kind of stuff
0: <laughs> when and then,
1: then by bit, there were little opportunities to write a couple backup features mm-hmm. and so I did those those got those got you know a little notice uh, there, there were a couple of them that I'm really proud of and a couple of them that I look back on and I'm like oh maybe they were even worse than how they were rewritten to be <laughs> you know that kind of thing <laughs>
0: So I'm curious. So I know Tim Tui's mentioned before that you worked with him on, um, I guess, Marvel Vision, uh, working on the time slips. How yeah, did th-
2: totally, Tim, Tim the Bat.
0: Now how, I'm curious how that kind of worked out because he, when I talked to him, I was talking exclusively about Marvel Vision because I was a big fan of it when it was coming out. So how did you kind of get roped into working on that book with him, and how did all those time slips kind of come out?
1: Well, basically, what what happened was. Um, you know, Tim, Tim had joined us down. Um, he had. He was kind of in the process of being half in editorial and half doing a unique kind of editorial because Marvel was trying to create their own version of, like, Wizard Magazine. And so Marvel Vision was, was part of that push, part of that, you know, how can we give people you know, these interviews and that kind of thing. So I got to talk to Tim every day because he was, he was now working in our department. So we're, we're, on our floor, not our department, but on our floor and we would just, you know, talk. And I, you know, there, there were a bunch of things. I was like, you know, we should do this and we should do this. And I remember saying to him, we should have a feature in which we hire today's hottest artists to or most unique or Artists to draw this original character that maybe Stan Lee, that Stan Lee, you know, created with Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko or whoever, and we should we should try to encourage the artists to draw them to draw the character as if you know Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko never had. And so the idea was to encourage the artists to try to ignore everything they ever knew about the character. Or and and just go off a name like you know Silver Surfer or Spider Man or Doctor Octopus to, you know and to come up with these ideas or or this approach and after the first couple came in those images the the designs were so cool and we were having people like Bill Sienkiewicz and John John totally then and. and you know, Mike Allred and Jeff Smith, like the images were so great that it seemed like it was only right that there was
2: also a different origin set to it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I would write a different origin to it and it
1: would be, you know, maybe a paragraph or two. It wasn't this big elaborate thing but it would be something in which I would talk about how the origin changed. I would write a little poetic and then I would also make sure it, it somehow tied into what we loved about that character in the first place. And um, Alex Ross was a giant fan of these things. In fact, uh, I'll never forget his call about the, um, the Jeff Smith one. And Jeff Smith did Silver Surfer, and Alex was just like, that's the best origin of Silver Surfer ever. That's what it should be. I wish... that That's what the Silver Surfer should be. You're so... Oh. and and so when um, and so he was a fan of that there were other things going on and Tim was really encouraging um, for that entire project and everything that was happening and Tim even hired me if anyone can even find it to um, write like a 64 page special that I did with the artist Matt Smith which was like a completely different form of the Avengers
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and so that even came out, and Tim and I were planning a different one, um, and I don't think that ever came out, but, but you know, there's so many projects that start to stop, but anyhow, Alex really loved these write-ups, and so when Wizard approached him and said, we want to do an article about what you would do, Alex, with the Marvel heroes if they got older, um, could you do some sketches up for those? just like you did with Kingdom Come. So Alex had that, had, you know, came up with, I want to say, 12, 13 pictures. One of them was, was obese Spider-Man, <laughs> not fitting in his costume anymore. Um, and one of them was the female Thor. And Alex is like, "This, Jim, why don't you just do that thing you do for Marvel Vision um, and and just write a poignant Thing for each thing, so you know. Alex had the idea that everyone on Earth had been had been given kind of X Men powers. Everyone had been mutated, and he said, "I don't know what causes mutation. I don't know where it goes. Unlike Kingdom Come or Marvels, I don't have a story. Um, but just do your write up on this." And so um, I, I did it, and I was like writing things like. You know, in a world where having to do with Spider-Man in in a world where you know he no longer has great power compared to others, he no longer feels great responsibility. So he's kind of let himself go. And again, just like the other stuff, I was constantly trying it, trying, trying to tie it back into Marvel lore. And then the president read the write-up, saw Alex's amazing illustrations, and and he just said. It's a real project. Let's do it as a project. And Alex is like, I don't have a story for it.
0: (laughs) So actually, I have a question. I sort of interject here at this point in the story, but I'm curious. So when this is being done, and forgive my naivete, um, with Wizard kind of commissioning this, like how involved is Marvel in knowing that this is happening or being okay that they're doing this project or that they were gonna do this right up like how connected was everyone at this time? maybe that's a silly question to ask. But I'm just curious what what kind of process no, no, this no, no, all no. went through
1: it's, it's, i I think you know I mean part of this is speculation on my point i I don't remember I don't remember how much Marvel was in like they of of course, Wizard had to get an okay from this. Of course, they were run, like, it was going through a process of the usual okays and articles and and that kind of thing. So it just wasn't being treated like it was anything more than kind of a speculative. Hey, what if Alex Ross designed the heroes? Are our, our heroes now old? You know, mm-hmm. it was like. It, it, it would have been just maybe been like considered a what-if article. Got it. You know, a speculative what-if article. But then when the president of Marvel said, oh no, it's a real project, let's do it, you know, I think that that was a shock to everyone at Marvel, especially because Alex wasn't going to paint it.
2: Hmm.
0: So I'm curious, too, because, again, it's such an interesting period of Marvel because it's in the late 90s, there's a lot of restructuring, there's a lot of issues happening, actually, at Marvel, and then they decide to do this big project. It's kind of, you know, not what you would expect someone to maybe do when everything else is kind of having the hatches battened down because they're going through a rough period.
1: Right, and and they were totally going through, um, you know, it it wasn't just restructuring, it was like they were... Like no one was sure what was going on. There were so many, you know, so many layoffs at that time. There was there was so much going on, and um, everything leading up to it, including including you know buying their own distribution system and stuff like that. All these strategies had turned like turned out to not be that good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, then, um, and then here that, comes this new project,
1: <laughs> right? And then here came this new project. And it was just before, it was just before, you know, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiati started doing their stuff. So I think it was, it was this time period in which Marvel was beginning to say, okay, let's have some creators speaking to these characters that are outside our main system. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a, it was like that spaghetti against the wall moment. <laughs> Let's see what sticks. Let's see what could happen, you know, because Earth X came out, you know, right at the same time that, like, you know, I, I think Casada's um, Daredevil came out with Kevin Smith, and we got the amazing Paul Jenkins, Jay Lee, and humans, oh, yeah. and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that tracks. So, it was right around the same period.
1: Yeah, so, so I think like everyone was testing that and I think Marvel was like, well, let's try this and let's try this and let's see what this stuff happens. And, and what was really great was, um, you know, we had amazing editors on it. We had Marie Javens and then Polly Watson um, kind of for the second half of it. And, you know, everyone was just, it was like, it was like everything was easy. And I, I don't think... I don't even think Marvel ex- expected us to um, do, as, do as well as we did because Alex wasn't painting.
2: Hmm. But, I guess- but then when it turned out to be in the top ten, every single issue that came
1: out, you know, it was like, let's move into Universe X, let's move into Paradise X, let's, you know, keep things going
0: for sure now I'm curious when they put out the sketchbook which you did with Alex like when I guess when it was about to be published did you already know at that point we're already developing the series like I think from a a reader's standpoint it felt like there was a longer lag between that sketchbook and then the book coming out but you were already hitting the ground running on it
1: well what what's and I mean some of this is a spoiler so so I'll I'll be careful how I say this there was one sketch in Alex's original group of, let's say, a guest member of the—not a guest member, but someone who's in the Fantastic Four world, like like someone who would be affiliated with that world, who had become a character in the future, and um, because there was now a story in place, uh, and I can talk about that, but because there was a story in place. Alex chose not to include that image in the sketchbook because the feeling was that that's too big of a reveal. Really? Interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, people who know EarthX, they they can probably guess what that reveal is because they've seen the sketchbooks, they've seen, you know, all that sort of thing, but it would be a reveal and here's an even bigger hint. Uh, It would be kind of one of the last most important conversation that Reed Richards has in in the final issue of Earth X,
0: which is probably one of the best reveals. Like when that happens, it, it's it's a, you know it's an emotional one, right? Right? Like it's yeah, you no, know? It, it's, it's a great moment because yeah, it feels it's such a cool idea, and and um, the artist does an amazing job of really selling the how emotional it is for one and not for another. If that makes sense. Totally
2: does. It totally does.
0: So you guys hit the ground running. You know you're doing this project. You know that Alex isn't is just I guess doing the well, original covers. I,
1: so so Alex didn't have a, Alex didn't have a story. He's like, I don't know what caused the mutation, I don't know what what this you know, I don't know what caused it, I don't know where it goes, all that sort of thing. And he said, I'm thinking of having Medusa be a narr- be the narrator, and um, but but at that point we still didn't have a story, and Alex was like, "I don't want to do it if we don't have a story. I don't want to commit to it if we don't have a story." And then, you know, I mean, one night I called Alex on his phone, and I must have left an hour of calls and messages on his answering <laughs> machine, all dealing with biology and superheroes as antibodies and, you know, how how reproduction happens with celestials and how it all works and it's and, and ultimately I said, and, and ultimately it doesn't feel like it's right for Medusa, it feels right that it should be Machine Man because, and this goes back, when, when I first started working for Marvel, writing and promoting for them and stuff like that, um, I would be sent out to the conventions, the comic conventions, and I would meet people there and stuff like that, and one of the first people I met at a convention was Alex, and I was told to take him around and introduce him to all the news, like, you know, whatever the equivalent to CBR was then, maybe it was comics interview or amazing heroes or whatever like that. Yeah. And, we you know to set up interviews to show off the covers for marbles and stuff like that so it was like right at that point like literally alex first promoting marbles was when i joined the company and then from that point on as alex and i are walking around Alex is we're talking about our mutual love for jack kirby's last superhero that he created for marvel being machine man hmm. So, if we were going to use Machine Man, you know, one of one of the things that was always important is let's go back to how the character was first appeared. That's why when you go, when you look at, like, Earth X number zero, um, the Watcher's face is stretched across a giant screen. Because that's how we first saw him in Fantastic Four or 10 or whatever it was.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: You know. When you look at Machine Man, he's a character created out of the 2001, um, you know, book, which I think you know Kirby, in his high conceptual genius, um, thought, okay, what if I evolved hell from 2001, and so we got Machine Man out of that, and so I was like, let's use him. We both love him. This whole thing is. Is about mutant and human evolution, we're, we're grabbing onto things that, that, that without stealing from 2001, you know. Have, have always been talked about with the X-Men. That's, that's why when you look back at, you know, the first appearance of Khazar in the X-Men, like, a lot of people have been like, oh, that's so weird. Why are, why are the X-Men going in a place of dinosaurs? Well, that's because that's where the evolution thing is being traced back to and all that kind of thing. And are they the next step? So it's all, you know, so, like, all those guys and what they were creating was so conceptual and so smart, and so thoughtful that, that we tried to then, you know, try to be as conceptual and thoughtful as they were. Hmm.
0: As, a, you know, as the writer of the book, like when you see Alex Ross's original sketchbook or the original sketches, which was there a specific character that really kind of leaped off the page to you as a, you know, I, I have a great story for this, or I, have, I, have a, I can figure out how to get here?
1: Uh, no, and that was that was the that was the really surprising part. It's it's because it was all this big concept. It was all this big concept of where life on earth came from and, and that kind of thing. I mean, you know DC you know, I mean, when when you look back at the Eternals, when you look back at the Cree and what they did to create the inhumans and you look back at all the Norse mythology and You know, all the mythology, there's all this sense of this pantheon of gods in the Marvel universe, while at the same time, you're dealing with things like evolution. And so there was this great tension between being created, being self-created, as you have with some characters, and then even growth. And so the idea of it all was to really embrace the tensions and to think about this is two major storylines, and those storylines are going to converge, and so, um, and those storylines converging where they're going to spin them out in different directions, so it was really taking that idea of an X all the way, it wasn't just like Earth X-Men, it was like, okay, let's focus on two storylines, and let's have this major reveal happen right at the center of the book. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, a big part of, I guess, the success of the book as well is you have amazing art with John Paul Leon. How, how did, were you involved in kind of picking the artist for this project? And considering that it comes out of something that you're doing with Alex, um, but he's not doing the interiors, how do you select John Paul? Um, were you involved in that process?
1: You know what? I was, I was. I was. We were like, Alex from the beginning was like, yeah, I'm not going to draw this, uh, but we need to find someone... Um, and I I begged for John Paul. I was like, oh, my God, John Paul would be so amazing. I love his stuff. And Alex was like, Alex's response was like, oh, do you think we could get him? Do you think he'd be interested in this? <laughs> so, and John Paul was. It was, like, so exciting. It was like jumping jacks because we knew that it wouldn't look like a normal comic book if John Paul was drawing it.
0: No, it definitely sets it apart from books of that era, that's for sure. So here's a question. So and when when you guys get the book kind of greenlit, how did you get, like, was there ever a conversation about the fact that you were going to have basically 14 issues to tell this big story? Or was there any kind of collaboration with Marvel in on, on terms of what the length should be? Again, this is an interesting period in terms of the projects that, that are starting to be developed. So how would you guys end up deciding on making it such a long project?
1: I, I think when we realized that, when we realized the scope of the reveal and that kind of thing, we just wanted it to breathe, and um, Alex had this idea of the first issue being not a zero issue, but an O issue, so it would, like, focus on the origins and everything that would um, would have come, you know, in the past, and then the final issue, the X issue, or the 14th issue, uh, because it would be O, then 1 through 12, and then X, that would be, like, the final statement on that storyline.
2: Okay. Now
0: I'm curious when. Marvel,
1: Marvel didn't, Marvel didn't argue with that. They, they actually wanted more, like specials with the characters and stuff like that. Which is why when we got into Universe X and Paradise X, there were other, there were other specials involved and, and other one shots and that kind of thing. And what's interesting is those one shots are still when we get to Universe X and Paradise X, my favorite parts of like Universe X and Paradise X.
0: Really? Okay. Now a, uh, a curious question: um, When you get to the end of Earth X, w- at that point was uh, was Earth X, sorry, was Universe X already kind of um, like set up to go at that point? Because obviously, at the very end, you definitely have some characters kind of talking about what's coming next, the next step. Um, did you already have it lit so you could know, you knew that you could kind of seed in what was coming next?
1: We did, we did, and Alex Alex had already talked to Doug Braithwaite about taking over that art taking over the art after afterwards because John, John needed vacation.
0: <laughs> it's a big project.
1: And rightly so. You know, there were so many characters, so many things. I mean, you know, I kept on being like, Ooh, let's put a cameo of Easy Reader in the Land of the Dead to represent Spidey super story. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're just getting more and more. And, and he's, his single statement is, you know, like, you know, literature is dead or something like that it was a statement about no one reading anymore so, so there were so many points where we could put in little things but yeah I mean Universe X I think I was I didn't even take a break between writing Earth X and Universe X oh no actually I did I took a three month break and went to film school
0: that's a, an interesting way to take a break
1: yeah, it was it was and, and it was intense. It was this NYU um, directing um, intense thing, which was um, you know you get there at like nine in the morning and you work till nine at night, six days a week for three for I want to say six no eight weeks, and then at the end you shot a number of films, but you have a final film that becomes you know final short film that becomes you know,
0: your calling card. Wow. it's intense stuff. So I, so here's the natural question. So you, you know, you have, as you're wrapping up or as you're you know midway through earth x or coming to the end you know that you're going to get another another book out of this had you already at that point conceived it as a trilogy or how how yeah as the evolution of the story kind of worked how quickly did you kind of evolve your ideas as to how big and how grand this was actually end up going to end up going
1: well you know um it was like I, I always think about my writing as if I'm creating a puzzle, but I have to create the pieces that fit together to ultimately make the puzzle. So it's like there are levels of that. And we realized that, you know, if we were going to speak to all of the Marvel Universe, if Earth X represented the 60s of the Marvel Universe, Universe X going into Paradise X would represent the 70s into the 80s. Hmm. And so, if you look at that, when we get into the 70s, we start getting into monsters. We start getting into, you know, we start getting into Adam Warlock. We start getting into Captain Marvel. We start getting into, you know, all the stuff that was being created there. You know, when Doctor Strange went, even that book went so... Bonkers on your angle heart. And I say bonkers in the best possible word. <laughs> in the best possible way. You know, so Marvel gets bigger and it expands, and these giant theories begin to come out. And you have the birth of the Eternals as well. And you have Jack Kirby's return to Marvel, um, which we had already, you know, touched upon a lot with EarthX because it was, you know, we didn't just do Machine Man. Uh, we were doing the Eternals and Earth Act. You know, I even brought in Marshall Muldoon, which was um, this totally obscure character from Kirby's um, run of Captain America. But again, Kirby being so conceptual, I think that, that Kirby was thinking, you know, who should Cap team up with in the Alamo? you know, in this otherworldly Alamo, like he was recreating the Alamo in another dimension, and, and then he looked at it and he goes, no, he should be teaming up with John Wayne. So Kirby <laughs> created Marshall Muldoon, who's this John Wayne type, this Clint Eastwood type, this the classic cowboy of cinema type. And so I was like, oh, I love that character so much, I want to use that character.
2: <laughs>
1: you know? And so in all ways, we're like, how can we touch on 70s Kirby? Because, Again, Commandy was 70s Kirby, but at DC.
0: That's right. So I have a question. So, I mean, this, it's it's easy to look at uh, the entire kind of X trilogy as, as being a very, uh, a series of very dense reads. Was that very deliberate to really get into the nooks and crannies and, and kind of tying everything all together and, and going as deep as possible?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I have to give credit where credit is due, but it seems like it major name drops, so, um, but it's okay. I had, I had lunch with this amazing director who's worked on Marvel films and we were sitting down, we were talking about movies and TV and, um, and comics and what is it when you, when you, what does it look like when, when you take, um, when, when you, when you do the next chapter of something? when you let something grow and that kind of thing. And, you know, he was so wise and he affected my writing forever in his statement when he said, you know, the first thing is you have to advance the story. You have to take it forward. You have to give people something they didn't know or something they haven't seen before. And he said that's the first part of the next chapter. But the second part of the next chapter is you have to remind them why they love this thing in the first place. Hmm and so and and look I I I judge Star Wars films on that I judge (laughs) comic runs on that I judge films on that like we all do um and on that basis and I was like is this does this remind me as of of what I loved about this character in the first place
2: Hmm.
1: you know so while it's the next while it's the next chapter so in, in going into Universe X, there were elements that, that had to happen, you know, that, that were instinctually part of Earth X. So part of that is uh, a narration that, that's also a conversation.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: You know, that's one element. There's a sense of reveal. There's a sense of the story being bigger than we ever thought it was. And then there's ultimately... Um, seeing the characters in a new light, or a new light, and getting a sense of their destiny of what they would become, Absolutely. and so all those elements would have to work into it. I would say, like, like Earth X, uh, Earth X feels completely me. Where Universe X and Paradise X, it was Alex and I sharing more plotting together. Like, like Alex brought in a lot more like a lot more ideas with Universe X Paradise X I mean I remember like writing an Earth X I would like write a script and send it to him and then he would just call me later that night because he would read it and tell me about everything he liked about it like it was really (laughs) just like it it was the easiest collaboration ever but then Universe X Paradise X became something totally different because it was ideas going back and forth and that kind of thing and when I know I'm jumping the gun here but as I'm right in the middle of writing Marvel's X right now which is the prequel to Earth X that same kind of give and take going back and forth is happening between Alex right now and it's awesome
0: Do you prefer that collaboration as opposed to just doing it on your own or is it just part of just the material being different and kind of pulling at you in different ways and ping ponging it back and forth actually works better?
1: You know, I don't know. You know, I, I can't pick a preference. It's, it's the way the project comes, and there are things that Alex brings up that I would have never thought of, and sometimes he'll have a thought, and then that will spur me onto a different thought, and I'll send it back to him, and he'll joke about uh, about that very thing. He'll be like, yeah, I send you this idea, and it comes back as this other thing and, and it's part of us going back and forth. That, that's, and, and that's where there's great creati- creativity that, that happens and you know even the pushing and the, the allowing stories to be merged that way.
0: What is it about I mean, so obviously you guys have worked together for a long time in a lot of different projects. So what is the magic that makes you guys to work? Is it just the fact that you can have such an easy collaboration with each other and just you can go back and forth and you, you kind of you come from a same kind of baseline interest and you're able to kind of take that to the next level? Um
1: I I think so. You know, part of it might just be um, our mutual love for Kirby and 80s Alan Moore
2: you
1: know <laughs> you know like when you look at Kirby, Kirby's so conceptual on, on a certain level especially visually um, and and even, like even story wise I don't want to take away anything from, from Kirby as a writer and as an idea smith um, but you know like if that's Kirby that when we look at Alan Moore 80s Alan Moore. Alan is so conceptual in in a language kind of way. Mm. And you know, if, if I could put if I could put 70s Kirby with with 80s Alan Moore, I, I can't even imagine what that would look like.
2: Or be
0: like,
1: <laughs> you know.
0: It's interesting having you talk about how much you like, you know, this appreciation for Kirby and the bigger ideas. The fact that you used X 51, or sorry, Machine Man, as your narrator in Earth X makes all the more sense. Um, And I always thought it was just such an interesting way to do the narration because you have the character kind of shunted forward and he has to tell the watcher what he sees. It's such an interesting way of casting the watcher in a different light as well which at the end of the book you kind of get the reveal about the watcher uh and why he's using Aaron as his eyes it's so fascinating uh what was it like to kind of put that together and be able to use x51 as this kind of really kind of eerie and creepy kind of way because he's kind of lost his humanity in terms of the the visuals well
1: it was just you know i i always want to try to write with some sort of levels in place so it was one of these scenarios in which I was being like okay we're on a planet um, in which no one has humanity anymore so let's get to what's at the you know let's get on the insides of it and realize that there's a giant lie in the midst of this story that's going to be uncovered and inside of machine man himself he's a robot that was programmed to believe himself alive. So so from the beginning, there was this desire to have a character who had layers to him and that even the, the truth, um, the truth was that he was just a robot, that he would still defy that because it's a giant story of defiance. Mm-hmm. That the very natures of, of a hero is is that the hero will defy the status quo, even in himself, and so or herself, and so that that whole idea of letting Machine Man be that made him a lot of fun to write.
2: How,
0: how did you approach? I mean, especially well, I mean, in Earth X especially, but also Universe X. You you tell some great uh, character beats with Captain America um and you've really kind of pushed him to his limit um what was it like to kind of tap into seeing steve uh, having gone through everything still being the survivor still being the one kind of standing but having to go through everything around him kind of changing well you know that you know that
1: film the, the film that i left or or that i my 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 three months off to do that class mm-hmm. it was a it's a it's a Don Quixote type of film called they might be dragons about a guy who gets laid off of work. Who's convinced that his boss is actually a dragon. So he buys a gun and he's going to hunt down his boss and shoot him to save the world. (laughs) So, and, and the whole idea is the first time we see the boss, he's smoking a cigarette. So, you know, there's even the the dragon smoke there and the picture of greed and the picture like all that stuff playing on itself with with Captain America I was I was I was trying to create and trying to work towards that Don Quixote idea as well that he was fighting for freedom that that wasn't even something that people wanted to fight for anymore or wanted to have so he was kind of this sad reminder of a freedom that clearly had been lost you know which is why you know, and this is a spoiler, I will say. Which is why he has to die at the hands of a mob. Mm-hmm. You know, democracy, democracy at its worst.
0: It's it's such a stunning scene. Like the art there uh, is just incredible. Like the the serene look on Cap's face, though, before it happens, and then you fade to black after he sees the vision of death. Like it's it's haunting.
1: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. No. No. We were so happy, and we, we knew that it was going to go there. We knew that we were like like it happens early in the book. It's almost the break from Act One to Act Two, is the death of Captain America, because the whole goal of that series was going to be let's kill death
0: absolutely well and uh the page before that that particular um like when he actually does end up dying at the hands of the mob you have that great shot where you you think you have him with his shield and you see the shots go right through and then you see you know the the young marvell holding the shield somewhere else and you know and trying to be protected again it's 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 haunting like it's 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 really well done it really makes you feel for cap and again he'll do everything it takes for the mission and uh and this was this was the end that he was destined to have at least on this plane.
1: Right, right. Um, and it's interesting that we're talking about Cap um, and how he dies in Universe X because there's something going on with that in Marvel's X, which which will be one of those big Scooby-Doo <laughs> kind of things that happen. <laughs>
0: So, not not to jump too far ahead, so I, I have two major questions. So, obviously, you're, you know, it's been 20 years, you're coming back, you're doing Marvel's X, uh, which is kind of a, a prequel story, but we haven't really talked much about Paradise X and how it ended or kind of didn't end, or at least not the way initially intended. Um, what can you say right. about how Paradise X ended up wrapping up?
1: Well, you know what? Um, we, we were basically told, this. this is a great story because, it, it talks about the powers of fans. And it talks about the importance of creators having relationships with fans. It really did. During that entire time, uh, I forget even the website, but I was like people had so many questions about Earth X and Universe X and Paradise X that, that I had you know, I had message boards that I was on. And I was um And I was working on on these message boards answering people and stuff like that and i forget the president at the time or maybe i'm just choosing not to remember him <laughs> but he was so upset that that the universe x trade paperbacks were outselling um i think the ultimate line oh wow <laughs> the ultimate line of trade that that He killed it. He killed Paradise X. He's like, yeah, no, no, I don't even want comics like that anymore, blah, blah, blah. He was so pissed off um, because it was representational of a success that came from a moment in time before he was president. Hmm. Um, And so he got all upset, and um, he killed it um, because he didn't want to be like all this, and then it was supposed to end at issue 7 oh wow as opposed to, like like really gutted. like I had I had already written like through issue 6 you know knowing it was again going to be like a 14 issue thing so I went on these message boards that had you know hundreds of people that, that were interacting and I was like look you guys this has to be the most positive thing ever but if the Earth-X trilogy means anything to you, please write the president of Marvel and tell him how much you love this series and how grateful you are that he's kept it going. And they did. And they did. And so he got letter after letter of people thanking him for it. And while we didn't get all our issues back for the series, we got most of them.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And
1: so... Yeah, no, no, it's it's so it's so amazing, and the ending did change because I think I either lost forty-eight pages or sixty-four pages out of the bunch. But right now, and this—I mean, this is spoiler. i, get, I feel like it's it's op- you know, Universe X is all about the if Universe X is all about the fight to kill death, Paradise X is all about the fight to create and to build another, like, paradise, another heaven, and what that would look like. Um, And so, right now, in Paradise X, Reed Richards takes on, quote-unquote, the throne of heaven. He is seated there, but in the original ending, it was supposed to be
2: someone else.
0: Hmm. Um, Was it just because of the space, you wouldn't have have time to kind of move it around, or what kind of prompted that? Yeah
1: yeah it, it with, because of the space there were certain there were certain struggles that were supposed to happen and a certain um, there was you know okay i'll just say it i mean captain america was supposed to take on the throne so that the whole idea was building to the idea that that there are failures in democracy and the reason why Democracy is a choice over a monarchy is because there's rarely a king that's smart enough or good enough or wise enough to ensure the freedoms and equalities of all his or her people. And so what was going to happen in those, those missing 64 pages or 48 pages is it was going to be offered to Cap and Cap was going to have to say no, or Cap was going to say no, and because he said no there were more consequences that were going to come as a result of that Um, and so what you would have gotten in that last storyline is Cap's unwillingness and then ultimate surrender and ultimate giving up of freedom of self for the sake of ensuring the freedom of all others which is, again, going back to the rule, the thing we love most about Cap
0: for sure. So, with with the ending you ended up getting, you also have kind of a uh, a cliffhanger of sorts. Well, not a cliffhanger, but there's just the idea of, an ex- of a next of of a story that exists beyond with Reed, you know, planning to go rescue his son. Um, what what prompted you to kind of put that as as the last beat of the story?
1: Um, well, you know, Alex and I have talked since then of um two things and i mean i'm sure alex even remembers this i don't know if we have any plans necessarily do it we talked about a prequel that would take place in the beginning days of the plague that that um, mutated um everyone on earth we talked about that story which is the one we're working on right now which is marvel's x and then we talked about something that would be called X-Tales because we like specials so much and that kind of thing. And in no way was it, ooh, let's do another, you know, let's do another 14, 15, 16 issues, which is another big epic that reveals this thing. I think we're kind of done with our let's reveal the thing that no one knew and all that kind of thing and we had so much fun writing the specials and doing the specials in Universe X and Paradise X it was just like let's do some stories that focus on that so can Reed you know the fact that Reed is now on the throne of heaven um has brought his wife back to life in the midst of Universe X has faced so much stuff and continues to want to dare things just spoke to who Reed is as a person and that he's the one that that will go where no one else can and if he can't go there he'll still figure out a way to do so and that's what makes him Reed Richards that's what makes him so so great
0: absolutely I have a, a, a just a general question obviously a lot of the original designs came from from Alex from that sketchbook as you guys progressed through the different levels with Universe X and Paradise X and introduced characters or concepts that hadn't been seen previously was he doing the concept art for those or was it just the artist on yeah. those particular levels Yeah clothes? no I
1: think I think pretty much so all the concept art is Alex's.
0: Gotcha. And then when, how did Marvel's X even come about now? Like it's been, as you said, you know, 20 years. What was the impetus or who made the call? Like how did this get pitched that you guys would be able um, to revisit I that think, world?
1: I think Alex and Kurt were talking about doing some sort of extra thing. It was some sort of celebration of, of Marvel's and that kind of thing and um, you know I think part of it's even and, and I may be talking out of school here or maybe that's not even an example maybe I'm just making this up but you know I I think right now when you look at Marvel they're trying all kinds of things that speak to all the history of Marvel and especially after the passing of Stan this, this is like this giant time of celebrating all things Marvel and you know it just felt like okay, now's the time. And it's interesting, because Joe Quesada, even a couple years ago, you know, was like, you know, I I think it's time for Earth-X to come back, blah, 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 blah. So Alex and I talked, and, you know, he had his schedule, I had my schedule, um, and, you know, finally just all the pieces came together, and, you know, the fact that this is also a celebration of Marvel's going on right now, it, it all just kind of fit. It's like again, the timing was right and the timing was perfect.
0: What is it like to get to immerse yourself back into this world, but also like the, the early version of this world? Like you, it's it's interesting to to read Earth X, having read the other volumes, because it's a, not that it starts small because it's still a world that we're looking at. But you guys go so big, and so what was it like, kind of ratcheting it back into a, a you know kind of a, the nascent world that would end up becoming Earth X for Marvel's X? Right.
1: Yeah, well that was that was just like that was so fun and such a challenge because ultimately we I was well the the big test was like I like there's a process of reading Earth X in which there are all these reveals and I don't want to get in the way of wrecking those reveals. You know? Mm-hmm. Like there are realizations with characters that you would never have and you know, it's it's almost like I in no way did we want to um, wreck the reading of those things. I mean, when Marvel's X issue one comes out, you know, there's a new printing of the Earth X trade paperback coming out. So, you know, in no way did I want Marvel's X to give away anything of Earth
0: X. So is it more of a tightrope to walk as a result?
1: Yeah, yeah. But but in some ways, that, that was the fun and it was the challenge and it was like, you know how I talked about before about writing... You know, it's like the whole story is the puzzle but then you have to come up with the pieces and how the pieces fit together it's like to a certain degree some of this image is already created because of Earth X but they're revealed there, puzzle pieces there that have to be in so it's almost like a puzzle that interconnects with that in a way that makes sense and is funny and charming and encouraging and you know, both dark like Earth X is, and um, everything else. What this I feel like one of this this what this series really does, the Marvel X, is it's pretty much so. Even though it happens during the plague, it's pretty much so the Marvel characters as we know them right now, hmm. or as we knew them. Let's say in the 80s or the 90s it's, it's like classic Spider-Man classic Daredevil classic characters like that um ultimately responding to the plague like when you get to Earth X society has kind of moved on people have kind of taken control and there's a way in which life is being lived um but if you imagine when this plague would hit and everyone getting superpowers like or or mutated or turning into monsters it would be chaos and this is embracing the chaos and allowing the heroes to be like what do we do about this
2: Hmm.
0: I I guess I never thought about that but it's true like in the original book it was kind of there was no chaos everyone just kind of accepted that this is the world by now
1: yeah yeah and so this is is that chaos this is will the heroes (coughs) you know change things or not how can they help you know, people deal with these things, deal with their new powers, you know. It's like, it's the origin, it's the secret origin, it's the first issue of every single person on the planet Earth, um, and 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 their first experience of power, and, you know, that would be chaos. That would be awful.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious, so in the past year, you've had the... Um the entire Earth X trilogy has been published in two giant omnibus editions. I'm wondering what was that like yeah. to, to be able to see everything put together in these nice big hardcover collections.
1: Oh, it was so awesome and one of the things that I really am happy about those collections um was the fact that in the second one they included the Nighthawk Limited series. Mm-hmm. Um that was a that, that was a kind of Nighthawk Daredevil Team up. Um, that was a sequel to one of the Ann Daredevil storylines that I loved, where Daredevil goes to hell with the Inhumans. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. So
1: this is kind of a this is kind of a, a sequel to that or a continuation of that story. Um, and because Universe X is narrated by a Nighthawk who can see the future, um, you know. I'm glad that the three issues are put in there so that if anyone's wondering, how could Nighthawk see the future? When did that happen, you know? Blah, 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 blah. It's, it's kind of the same thing that, that became Civil War Part Two, but more isolated with just Nighthawk.
0: <laughs> so a, a question that came from the Marvel Masterworks Forum, which obviously you're very familiar with, um, was about yeah. whether or not you had further ideas for using Nighthawk after the three-issue miniseries.
1: Uh, and and I did I did and Alex and I at one point had really talked about doing um, doing a Defender series um, but I think Eric Larson got that gig he was he got to it sooner than we did or something happened um, and so we didn't get a chance to do the Defenders that we wanted to do um, you know which is which is which is you know how this industry works
0: for sure um, uh,
1: but I did. I did. I really, I really like the idea of, and and what made, what always made me love the Defenders, and I, I think you know, especially the first eighty, eighty issues of the Defenders, especially, but the Defenders were like they were creepy. They were superheroes that fought Satan. And I was like, that's so like crazy and wild and awful and. You know how they, and then you know I would be looking at all those awesome Rich Buckler Fantastic Four issues where, where again, Mephisto is, is attacking them, and Silver Surfer is always fighting Mephisto and they're you know going into the '70s again with Universe X. It's a big embracing of all like, like, you know, these words sound wrong together, but the awesome satanic stuff that was happening in Marvel,
2: you know. <laughs>
0: Um, I, I don't want to. Before we totally run out of time, and I feel like I could almost spend an entire hour just talking about it, but I was just curious: how did justice come about with Alex? Because that is just an amazing
1: book. Oh yeah, thank you so much. Well, you know what? It was. It was probably two things. One, um, both Alex and I love the Super Friends, but Alex really loved the Super Friends, like, <laughs> like, love, love the Super Friends, and um, you know, Earth X. Earth X really led to justice because I because Alex told me and I know he's done said this in interviews before, but Alex is like, you know, I'm I'm sometimes jealous that I didn't draw it myself.
2: Hmm.
1: Which is which is a giant compliment to John Paul, you know, who I, 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 I have I still have the recollections in my mind where, where Alex would talk about how John Paul draws with an energy like Kirby there's the, like Jack Kirby there's a the realism and yet you know in abstracting to things that that is just so beautiful and wonderful um, so so it was like that and then Alex was like yeah Jim I feel like I need to do something that you write that I paint
0: interesting and so did you guys then approach DC with it saying hey let's we we're interested in doing this thing
1: well I just assume that DC's always calling Alex and begging him to do something with them
2: so, <laughs> you know
1: I, I don't know if they, they did I think I think DC was just like you know Alex was like well Jim and I uh, want to do that we, we want to do a giant a giant serious Justice League versus the Legion of Doom story
0: And they probably just said, yeah, let's let's do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, initially, I think because each issue was going to be narrated by a different hero, I think there was frustration that the first issue was narrated by Lex Luthor. But eventually, you know, when DC saw where later issues were going and stuff like that, and the fact that Luthor saw himself as a superhero and as maybe the planet's only hero like it all led to everything working out in a way and just like Earth X you know it's a puzzle
0: absolutely so this comes again from the Marvel MassWorks Forum so Mr. Raffles wanted to know that Justice did feature a lot of characters narrating their respective chapters who was your favorite character to write and who proved to be the most challenging to write
1: oh Injustice yeah um Lex Luthor, you know, Lex Luthor was was clearly the easiest to write because because that's where it began and and in so many ways I was setting up I was setting up an an argument where he was wrong but he had to sound so right <laughs> and all the issues to follow were going to be an argument against that. Um, so you know it's, it's almost like like it begins with nuclear Armageddon and yet um, you know his whole thing was that humanity doesn't have to solve its arms race because there are heroes there to stop it superheroes there to stop it and yet we live in a world in which you know there are not superheroes and we haven't stopped it ourselves so fundamentally he's flawed from the beginning
2: hmm.
1: you know um, so I really, you know, I really. Well, you know what? It's not who was so difficult. I'll just talk about who was surprising. Who was who was fun? Like I loved I loved writing Aquaman, uh, just because I was totally a child of of all the Jim Aparo, Steve Skeets Aquaman stuff, and and the death of Arthur's son. Arthur Jr. in that was something that from the beginning, Alex and I were like, okay, let's write that wrong. Let's tell a story in which Black Manta does not kill Aquaman's son. And (laughs) so from the beginning, it was making sure that that it was like we we were writing about and and telling a story where, where, you know, Aquaman was king, he was hero, he was judge, but he also had to be father, and he had to be all those things. Um, and that was that was a blast. Um, Alex had had some real clear thoughts on how I should approach writing the script for Batman that were so spot on and, and so right. Um, I he and Alex also had the idea of the Green Lantern being trapped in a part of space that he didn't, where he was completely lost in, and the idea of Green Lantern being um, or Hal Jordan. Like being pulled into the ring, hmm. um, and and the necessity of like the Phantom Stranger being the only one who could find him, like and that was just a great idea. Yeah. I loved writing Green Arrow and Black Canary. I still have people come to me and talk about the scene where Clayface attacks them,
2: hmm. <laughs> you
1: know, and why why Ollie puts in the um, the earplugs and stuff like that. I still get that, um, and that's really fun. So, but, but the one I think if I think about all the characters the one I was most excited about writing was, was Shazam Captain Marvel because no one had ever broken him down into his seven pieces and talked about how making a decision here he uses the wisdom of Solomon to yeah. make this decision there or he no longer feels the, the thunder of Zeus he no longer like all these pieces of him being a composite character I had never seen anyone else write, and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone else write it since. But I love that aspect, about Shazam.
0: <laughs> when you're writing so, a, a book like this, which, as you said, is it is kind of a love letter to the Super Friends. Do you ha- like what would the the internal voices as you're writing these characters? Were you hearing them as if they were on Super Friends? Uh,
1: no, 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 no. In fact, I haven't. I have seen Super Friends in so long, and you know, even when I was writing this. I wasn't. I wasn't watching Super Friends at all. Um, but again, I, I had this idea that if you begin with a unified Legion of Doom, because of the very nature of them being self orientated that, that 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 sense of community would break down, just like with the Justice League. Um, you know, even if they're broken down at the beginning, the sense of serving others and community would be built up and built up and built up which is why as you go on in the series all of a sudden you have the metal men showing up and Doom Patrol and even Legion of Superheroes at the end and the idea is that like when mankind serves each other you know and yeah this is very Pollyanna but I don't care <laughs> you know <laughs> the, the idea is to show that our communities get bigger and bigger and bigger the more we try to help and the more we hope and the more we like all
0: that kind of thing interesting I I hadn't thought of it that way but you're absolutely right it definitely works on that level So I have uh, one last question about Paradise X and I'm going to change it to topic just for a second but uh, sorry not Paradise X Earth X Um, last year was interesting because Earth X actually had um, the licensed game HeroClix featured the Earth X characters um, as a subset or as a a full set I should say what was it like kind of seeing something that you were so instrumental in actually being licensed to have a game like that
1: yeah that was so amazing that was so amazing and and to to Heroclix's credits. Those guys are so great. They set both Alex and I sets, and so we have these sets, and you know, it's amazing just to look at them all. I even there was a there, there was a show that um, I went on with kind of an unmasking and an unboxing of the Heroclix sets that's out there somewhere, and that was so cool. Like, you know, that was with Scott Porter, right? Yeah, 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 and. Like, like, and this is something that, that's interesting of what it's like to be a creator and work in this industry is you know, I mean look when when Justice came out there was some critic who was like you know, it ends with lying like, I'll re- I, I hope because of my friends, and the critic was like, it should have been I hope because of my super friends, and I was like uh, you know, the last thing I need is critics to like, like to Tell me how they would have written it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, judge what I write, but you know, blah, blah, blah. But then what's so interesting is you get that, and like you live as a creator with people saying something sucks or they love it or it's important or it's not. But then when you see things like the Hero Clips thing, you really see the enthusiasm that people have for stuff, and it's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, Alex and I are like, did people even like EarthX sometimes? You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that that speaks to, you know, our own insecurities and our own, oh, we we birthed this thing, and yet, oh, there are the pimples (laughs) now that it's grown, you know?
0: For sure. Well, I guess it's nice to feel any kind of validation that's still out there. Like you, you, when you, especially in a, a medium like comics, when there's so many comics that are constantly being published and put out, it's easy for things to kind of get lost, right? Or I feel like they're forgotten, even if, even if they're not. Even if it's someone's favorite comic, you may not know
1: that. Yeah. No. Totally. Totally. That's so exciting, and that uh, again, that goes back to that message board and all those fans and all those people who really made it possible for us even to have an ending. And an ending that works. I don't wanna I wanna I don't want to give any picture that I'm upset with the way Earth X and en- I mean Paradise X ends. I'm like, oh you know, I had a different plan, but maybe it's right that that reads on the throne. He'll think of things that Captain America never could have and you know sometimes the best things come out of an editor or someone saying, No, you can't do that.
0: Mm-hmm. So speaking and there was of even
1: a moment in, there was even a moment of that in EarthX that that is another moment people talk about uh, and that's the one where where Reed is going to use the cerebral helmet
2: hmm.
1: and I remember an, an editor saying you know that helmet only works for Xavier Xavier's brain it it wouldn't work for Reed and that's why Reed had to you know you know shape his brain inside his head to look like to look like Xavier so Cerebral would work and that only happened because an awesome editor said no you can't do that you have to somehow fix it
0: wow that's pretty cool because that is a great moment in the story
1: so and it's a small moment you know it's not it doesn't it it leads to a big reveal but you know it's just like thanks to thanks to editors doing their jobs I think you know I I think that that's one of the um, that's one of the things I always tell Young, young writers who always want to explain kind of their perspective on things. I'm like, you know, find the right people who will be critical.
2: Hmm.
0: So you and, mentioned
1: and make your make your book as good as it can be.
0: You mentioned before, uh, you know, about having a message board. So speaking of message boards, so you're on one of my favorite message boards, which is the Marvel Masterworks forum. Um, and I I take it from this that you're actually a, a giant fan of the Marvel Masterworks, and you have them all, correct?
1: Yes, all the variants, all the limited numbering.
0: Wow. Now, that is now. how many volumes are we up to now? Uh,
1: 270, Oof. 280,
2: something like
0: that. So what motivated you to kind of get into that? Like, when did you start buying the Marvel Masterworks, and when did you decide, like, you were going to have them all, and you were going to have all these direct market, uh, you know, limited edition numbered versions?
1: Um, so it started with me... Uh, it started... Uh, I don't know. I want to say seven years ago, maybe. Okay. My wife, my wife got me one. Um, and she said she went, gone to a comic shop saying, Oh, I want to get Jim something that he can start collecting. What, what should I do? And so she got me a Marvel masterworks and I don't even think it was one of the variant ones. But then when I looked at it and, and I saw that it was probably the best reproduction of that original stuff. And you had, you know, Corey going through and making sure that all the color was right and everything looked as good as it could be. I was like, oh, now this is a good legacy to have. This is a good thing to have. And so she started me on that collection. Um, and then at the time, I was like, okay, you know what? I'll just get the X Men ones. I'll just get the X Men <laughs> ones and maybe the Avengers ones. But then bit by bit, you know, there'd be crossover and things. And then I'd be like, oh, but I really love you know, the warlock stuff and and I even love the Gil Kane stuff before it. So I want that too. And then and oh, Captain Marvel was so important to me when when I was growing up. Like like I loved all the Starlin stuff, but even more than the Starlin stuff, I loved the Alan Milgram stuff that was that was inked by um, Klaus Jansen. And then I loved all the Pat Broderick stuff. And then when Jim Starlin, you know, killed Captain Marvel, it was so awful you know so I wanted all that stuff incidentally this is one of those weird little things that, that like no one ever mentioned so uh, I'll use this opportunity in all the Earth X's and Universe X's and Paradise X's I would write these back features mm-hmm. that were more of the conversation between um, we were the first ones to say Ms. Marvel Carol Danvers would become Captain Marvel really when you check the appendixes those appendices, those conversations out, they ultimately, there's a moment where they talk about Carol Danvers and um, and X-51 says that she has taken on the name Captain Marvel to honor the Kree warrior from whom she got her powers.
0: Nice. Very cool.
1: So, like, dumb little things like that that, that we were, like, trying to make sure that we could thumbprint everything. Anyhow, anyhow, back to Marvel Masterworks. You know, look, people love this stuff. And, and it goes back to those first two rules of can you extend the story and can you do it in a way that reminds people why they love these things in the first place hmm. so and a lot of times with the comic industry especially for those of us who have been here for a long time we're never allowed to truly extend the story
2: because there's the illusion of change but not necessarily real change yeah
1: um and so what, what EarthX allowed was the chance to actually take a step with these characters' lives and then to do it in a way that hopefully spoke enough to their origins that, that we were reminded why we love the characters in the, first time, in the first place.
0: So I, I do have a question about wh- what was the first Marvel Masterworks that your wife bought you?
1: Uh, I think... Think I think it was X Men. I think it was X Men volume one.
0: Really? That was the one that launched l- launched over, you know, two hundred books that they bought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so- bit by bit, chasing them down, finding them. It was so fun to call to you know, I mean I bought some on ebay but I tried to buy as many as I possibly could from stores, you know, and then I saw them go up and down in price and sometimes they're worth a lot, sometimes they're not sometimes you get them cheap, sometimes you can't. I haven't read most of the Golden Age or Atlas ones, but I've probably read all the rest at wow. one point or another.
0: That's a lot um, of content.
1: And yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't read it all within the last six or seven years. It was more like, you know, a lot of it I remembered from even reading it when it came out. Mm-hmm. But I was able to go back in, and who knows when? who knows when this stuff will be Necessary, and and what's been happening in recent years is I've been able to go to cons and get them signed, and that's amazing. That's awesome. You know, the the fact that I've got a Doctor Strange that Marvel Masterworks that's signed by Rudy Nebras makes me so happy. (laughs) I'm like, when's that that
2: opportunity going to come again?
0: For sure. Now, with, with the Marvel Masterworks, is there a particular line that you were surprised at how much you enjoyed it? I mean, I, I, again, at this point, it almost doesn't matter if you're going to buy it because it's one of these volumes, but is there one that you were surprised by how much you enjoyed it? Uh,
1: you know, the, the thing that was most surprising and, and most awesome was, that it had been so long and I don't even know if I had ever read them but but the Marvel Masterworks really is how I read the first that entire run of the lead Ditko Spider-Man oh really you know I had read I had read them as Marvel Tales but never like from beginning till end never like as in a sitting for me is like three or four weeks of just, you know, maybe every day I'll read an issue or two while I'm working on things. And so that really, like, I've always been a fan of Ditko, but but um, that Spider-Man, um, those Spider-Mans are just, like, unbelievable. Like, I, I don't even think I saw the genius of Ditko until then. Wow. And and I would say that Ditko is, is the... Is the spiritual and literal and physical creator of Spider Man. And where probably my all time favorite Spider Man artist is um, John Romita Sr. At the same time, John Romita Sr. is like all that stuff that's a Peter Parker story. It's not a Spider Man story. Hmm. Dick goes in a Spider Man story.
0: That's an interesting distinction.
1: Yeah. I would say it goes to Spider Man what Ramita Senior is to um Peter Parker. Hmm.
0: So I've uh, two uh, two follow up questions before I let you go. First of all, um so your wife started this, this new hobby, this new addiction of, of getting all these Marvel masterworks. Does she regret it?
1: Uh I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I keep the books on the shelves and all is good they're in their place and, and the, the shelf is is thick enough that I can put the books you know edge to edge so they don't take they don't take up more than an entire bookshelf um, but but no it's helpful and look for for how good Marvel has ultimately been to me in my life and the story I was in invited to be a part of telling it's it's almost part of my legacy to myself. Hmm. You know, it's, it's all, it's like, I look at, at my masterworks more than I look at Earth X. And, and every time I do, there, there are pieces there that I'm like, oh, this character's so great. Oh, I wish I could do this with this character. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing.
0: Do you think there's a point at which you would stop with the Marvel masterworks? Does that even exist in your mind? Or if they just kept going forever, would you just keep buying them?
1: I think I think you know I I see on the message board that some people say oh I'm quitting at this point I'm quitting at this point I you know I don't see much of a reason to quit you know maybe when I'm old and you know it's it's all over I'll take all the um uh, I'll take yeah you know, I don't know I don't know what I'll do then you know <laughs> it'll be it'll be quite a it'll be quite a legacy for someone you know. Or, or I'll give them all back to the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'll I'll give them to like, you know, Kevin Feige if he outlives me, and I'll be like, you know, you know what to do with these, blah blah blah. (laughs) But they'll be signed by so many people; that'd be amazing, you know.
0: That's true a uh, question is that because you ended up getting the ones that were all kind of numbered so it's all one kind of long series do you think that it makes it harder to ever make a decision to not pick one up because you have this un- this unbroken streak now?
1: Oh <clears throat> I don't know I could put the first 300 on a shelf and then start a new shelf and be like oh, okay here it is but I mean it's like you know I don't know if we're ever going to get a US 1 Marvel Masterworks but if we do I would buy it
2: <laughs>
1: I was so close I was so close to putting US 1 in um, in Marvel decks. so close
0: <laughs> um, every month like when or every when new Masterworks are, are, are released or like we get the previews saying what the, the upcoming volumes are how excited are you to kind of see what new thing you get to re-experience
1: yeah, no, no. I always get excited. I always get excited. I, I I check out all the sample pages. and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like it's almost like baseball cards for some people. I'm like, oh, had that one, didn't have that one, never read that one. Oh, I should. Re- I need to make sure I read that. You know, it's it's like that. I get really enthused, and you know, I'm excited. Look, I'm excited about it all coming out. Like, you know, this, I'm excited about. More she because I'm excited about the Dazzler one coming out. The, the variant cover looks so amazing. Um, like, like all of it. Like all <laughs> of it. Like, oh, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really glad. Like, there don't even have to be any more Defenders ones because finally the David Kraft, Gary Conway, um, Keith Giffen issues came out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: um, the- of Defenders, and I was so excited about that.
0: Before we sign off, um, so obviously you're working at Marvel's, working on Marvel's X right now. Uh, is there anything else that's coming out soon that you want to tease or, or give us a bit of a sneak peek on?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have these two really special graphic novels that when I go to cons, I try to have things that people almost can't get from any, almost can't almost get anywhere else. So it like kind of like oh what's this of yours, Jim? What's this of yours? So I have, when I do cons, I usually have um, at least two graphic novels no one's ever heard of before. So I have a really dark fairy tale that would appeal to the fables crowd called The High Cost of Happily Ever After. And it's it's just awesome. And that's, um, you can get it on Amazon if you Google my name and stuff like that. Or if I do a signing at a store, they then I usually supply the store on an ongoing basis. But it's just this kind of thing I have and then there's a graphic novel called The Runner about a guy who's been on the run from the angel's of Death since 1936 and it's like a supernatural thriller both of those are things you can get on Amazon or you can get from me personally and hopefully hopefully they'll end up in comic stores soon but I'm not in a rush and I'm not all that business minded a guy to make sure that I'm able to make that happen but okay. those are special but I should mention right now that a book just finished its first six issues called The No Ones from Cave Pictures Publishing and The Trade is coming out soon and what makes... I'll describe the comic and why I think it's really cool and then I'll describe how important it is to our whole discussion about Earth
0: Okay. So
1: I met this artist on Facebook. I think it was Facebook. Maybe it was Instagram. But he's in Norway named Welby and that's already a hint and I had one artist attached to the book and then he couldn't continue because of other things he had going on. Um, so I brought Welby in to take over the book and his art is staggeringly amazing. Like if you took John Paul Leon and Tommy Lee Edwards and Steve Yowell, Zenith phase (laughs) three, um, which is my favorite Grant, one of my favorite Grant Morrison books ever, by the way. Um, but you took that artist and then you, you brought him and you had this artist who not, who penciled, inked, and colored. That's Welby. Um, so the No Ones is a story of a celebrity superhero group, um, you know, that has their own action figures, their own paparazzi, they've got their own business and stuff like that. They're, um, well, they are heroes, while they're not like, it's not like the boys, at the same time there's a bottom line to what they do and stuff like that. Anyhow, in the first issue, they're fighting terrorists and they accidentally kill a homeless guy. And they, um, they know that the media will have a field day, they know this will affect their money, and so what they do is they hide the body and they bury it secretly. Wow. And then they wake up the next day and no one's ever heard of them before no one you know they've never existed before so they're like okay well we'll just remind people so they save some people from a fire and then moments later once the people were saved they're like the people are like you know what I how did we get out of the fire like literally all of reality is constantly writing them out of its presence and this skews the team so that half of them see this as a way to really change the world and the other half just want their lives back Huh,
0: that's pretty cool. Like
1: some of my favorite heroes, some of my favorite heroes that I've ever created are a part of this. You know, um, like one of the characters named Call. Um, basically, you know how some kids are born or some babies are born underwater in in a spa. Yeah, um, he was born underwater in which is called. <laughs> so he's like this bratty Doctor Strange who's constantly hearing voices tell him to do evil things uh, and so he does good just to piss the voices off huh. that sounds there's
2: pretty so cool many
1: characters. so anyhow anyhow I've been working on this idea for a long long time finally found this artist Welby who's so amazing I'm sharing because Alex has been with me on this too knowing of these characters for a long time I share it with Alex and we're both like let's put him on Marvel's X oh really So, now Welby, who, like, had never had much of anything out there and then did this, you know, obscure book that had this, you know, new minor cult following, is now going to be a superstar at Marvel. Because when people see his art, they're going to freak out on Marvel's ass. That's awesome. Like, every issue he does just gets better and better. And where the first issue is very kind of, I want to say... Focused on one particular character and, and giving an experience of how the world has changed through one specific set of eyes, you know, it just grows out from there, becoming bigger and bigger each issue.
0: Nice. Now, a question about the no. Uh, a question about the no ones. How many issues are in that series?
1: Uh, it's six issues, and I think the trade is out in the spring sometime.
0: Okay. Very cool. Well, that's something. Uh, so we got to look out for Welby. That's what uh, we got to do, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the way he's drawing is like you can you can think of Jean Paulian meet Jock. That's
0: a, that's a pretty cool idea.
1: As far as the look goes and stuff like that.
0: Okay, well, thank you. thank you so much, Jim, and thank you so much for taking so much of your time to talk about Justice and Earth-X, Paradise-X, and Universe-X, and Marvel's X, obviously, and I'm excited to uh, see the next chapter, or I guess the prequel chapter.
1: Awesome, thanks. I can't wait. can't wait for this to be out there. So excited.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much.
2: Okay, thank you.